Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Billy talks about what it looks like to be a messenger of the Lord to culture and the world at large. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. into this. So last week, I'm going to give a recap just quickly. How many was here last week? How many, how many had an experience with the Lord that was maybe, well, just one of your most intense ones? Let's just see. How many had a big one last week with the Lord? Yeah. There was something powerful that hit the room during the altar call because we talked about prayer and intercession, and specifically travail, which is crying out or, or even groaning, just like if someone was in, you know, a woman in labor um, groans and cries out. That's what the Bible talks about. There's a, there's a place in prayer you can get to that's like that. Well, that hit the room last week, and many people were wailing, crying out, cr- you know, crying. And here's what I want to say. We never are after an experience. We're always after Jesus. But when you come in contact with Jesus, there's a lot of experiences that happen. And that's what happened is the power of God hit the place, spirit of travail hit the place, and people were wailing. And here's part of our challenge in church. We're unaccustomed with uh, what the Bible says. And so when something like that happens that's biblical, we don't have any grid for it. And so I want to get way more accustomed to what the Bible talks about and the experiential things that are in the Bible, the, the revelation that's in the scripture. I want to get way more accustomed to that than just dead Western Christianity. And so the Bible says Jesus, when he was on the earth with loud cries and vehement tears, he cried out and he prayed and and you know, committed his soul to God. So that's completely in bounds, okay? What I mean is, you know, people go, whoa, that was so whatever, or man, that's just emotions, or, you know, no, that's complete. What we saw last week is completely inside the boundary of Scripture, which that's what we want. The Bible is our infallible guide. We're not going beyond the Bible. We never believe stuff unless it's in the Word. But if it's in the Word, I want all that's in the Word. And there's a ton of verses in there about signs, wonders, miracles. You know, what's a sign? It's something that you go, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? That had to be God. There's another word, wonders. What's a wonder? It's something when you look at it, you go, what the heck is that? I don't know. I wonder. It's true. That's a wonder. And so the Bible gives us big boundaries. It has boundaries, but it gives us big boundaries for the expression of the Holy Spirit, the expression and the move of God. And uh, I was in a, this was the beginning of the year, January. I was in a meeting and the Holy Spirit, before I could even get up to preach, the Holy Spirit was moving in the end of the worship, just like we have here a lot of times. And as I got up to speak, I had one word. I had a word from the Lord. I give the word, and the room begins to go into travail and into intercession, just like that. And when that happens, uh, a woman over, the, over to my left starts manifesting a demon. At least it was in there. And she starts, you know, manifesting a demon and here's the thing. We're so not used to demonic manifestations. We're like, Ugh. you know, people start like, whoa. I go, whoa, 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 guys. This is like the Bible. We're actually getting biblical now. And they ministered to the lady, and she got free. Come on. When, <clears throat> when, I, was at, uh, when I was in Wilmore, Kentucky, and Kobe and I went, and we were there at the Asbury, kind of the outpouring that happened there for several weeks, and they were just doing on and on and on worship, un- un- unceasing worship. Five rows behind us, a woman began to manifest a demon. And they thought it was a medical emergency. This is wild. Have I told this story in here? This is just this year. This is like, whatever, three months ago. 
February, yeah, there it is. Three months. Yeah. So she starts manifesting this demon. Well, we can't see her. This is so great. I love this story. I'm going to preach in a second, but I just wanted, I wanted to give a little context from last week. But uh, we can't see this woman, and they start calling from the pulpit. They start calling for a medical professional. You know, is, you know, is there a doctor in the house kind of a call? And so uh, they're like, if you're not a medical professional, please back away. And there's all of a sudden from the back of the room, there's this woman who's going, come off of her in Jesus' name. Get off of her in Jesus' name. You can hear her yelling over the top of everything. She's going, get off of her in Jesus' name. And we can't see the person she's praying for, but here she comes down the aisle. Her name was Becky. I went, I went and found out her name later. I affectionately call her Becky the Demon Slayer. So Becky, from about here to about the back of the room, is going, come out in Jesus' name. And this girl, all of a sudden, I see her body, and she is flailing up and down, just like this. Then she screams, and she goes completely flat. And they lay her on the ground. And then she sits back up and she's completely normal. I watch it with my own eyes. Now, I've been in a lot of other times where I've experienced demonic and cast demons out of people. But to watch it happen, and Becky, the demon slayer, she did it from like 100 feet. It was amazing. And uh, here's what was awesome. From the platform, they quit saying... uh, Please back away unless you're a medical professional. And they started saying, please back away unless you're praying. Please back away unless you're praying. So they changed their, they flipped the script from the, from the front. But my point is, we're so, we're, we're so unacquainted with biblical happenings that when they do happen, it freaks us out. And we should be so much more acquainted with the Bible that when the Bible starts happening in front of us, we just go, yes and amen. Amen. So that's what happened, I think, last week was the power of God hit people. They were in intercession and travail and wailing and crying, and they were crying for the salvation of Israel and for breakthrough. And what we talked about was out of Isaiah 62, how God says, he goes, I will not hold my peace, and I will not keep silent. And and then in verse 6 and 7, he says, now you who cry out to the Lord, don't hold your peace, and you don't stay silent. He goes, now I'm not going to shut up, and I will never stop talking about this, and I'm not going to rest about it. I'm about, about Israel's salvation. And he goes, no, I don't want you to ever stop talking about it, and I want you to never rest about Israel's salvation. And my point last week was, how do we get it so that what's in God's heart is in our heart? And it requires the Lord to pour out his spirit on us the spirit of grace and supplication, so we can get in there and have that spirit of prayer just like what he invites us to. Does that all make sense? That's last week's summary. Cool. Well, this week, so last week I called it Cry Out for Israel because we're in this 21-day fast for Israel, so I wanted to get us into that place. This week, the message is called Cry Out to Israel. Cry out, cry out for Israel, intercessory prayer. Cry out to, inter, to Israel, prophetic proclamation. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight is the anointing that God wants to put on messengers to demonstrate the power of his kingdom, okay? Now, before you tap out and say, I am not a messenger, uh, that's just for the preachers and the platform, here's my definition of messengers, You communicate to any group of any size in any format. It could be written. It could be music. It could be art. It could be digital. It could be preaching. It could be teaching. It could be dance. It could be, you know, like I said, art, like sculptures, paintings. You know, as far as I know, Michelangelo never preached a message, but his messages got out all across the earth, okay? So a messenger is anybody who is communicating a message using any means to communicate that message. Singing, 
instruments, worship, any, any form, okay? So if you're in any of those boxes, and it literally could just be you have four friends that you talk to. <laughs> if you're in any of those boxes, this applies to you. Now, I want to just point out a verse in John. So look at John chapter 1. Put your eyes on it. Man, I really appreciate our worship team. You guys did such a good job tonight. Thank you. So John chapter 1, there's this passage where we find out about John's identity that I think is so interesting. And I pray tonight, as we're looking at this, some of you are going to find an identity in God in the way that John experienced his identity. So John, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, this is John the Baptist. Now, the book of John is written by John the Apostle, two different Johns. But uh, I'm going to read New King James, verse 19. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Because he was out baptizing, multitudes were coming to him. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we can give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? This answer is so interesting. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet said. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. It's interesting because he was asked one question and he gave him three answers. Who are you? And man, I mean, there's so many ways that people answer, answer that. Who are you? He doesn't say his name. He doesn't say his parents' name. He doesn't even, he doesn't say his job. His answer is, I'm the voice. I want to tell you right now, some of you are called to be a voice. You're called to be a voice. And some of you, it's false humility. Some of you, it's fear. Some of you, what's holding you back is pride. But you're called to be a voice. But he doesn't just stop with, who are you? He actually answers, where are you from? He goes, I'm from the wilderness. The voice of one crying from the wilderness, and he even answers, what are you doing? He goes, I'm crying out, and I'm making straight the path of the Lord. He gives them three answers to one question. Why was he able to give three answers to one question? Because he was absolutely clear on his identity and his calling. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who sent him. He knew exactly what he was called to do. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. And John's face was so set like flint that when it came down time for him to confront King Herod because he was in adultery, he did it, incestuous adultery, he did it boldly and took the consequences. I just want you to think about who do you know that in the face of fear and in the face of persecution will stand and speak truth to power even at the risk of their own life? Do you know anybody that has that kind of boldness and courage? Do you know anyone who stands up like that? My kids and I, we were having a conversation about the uh, politics and the political conundrum that's really just possessed our, 
our whole nation. And it's really this, that the, the guys that are in power right now, they will sell out to anyone as long as they've got enough money. And, and I, I'm making a big statement, but it's not because I'm just anti-politics. It's because I've, like, listened for hours about details about how they just get bought. And they might even go into office with the hope of actually making a change. But when the, mon- when the dollar signs get big and their power position is getting messed with, man, they will fold and capitulate to the highest bidder. But who do you know that can't be bought Can you be bought? Who do you know that no matter what the the odds are, what the challenges are, who do you know that will stay true to truth? That no matter what the pressures are, will not fold. That was John. He goes, I'm the voice. I'm crying out. And half of the reason why he was so bold was where he came from. He came from the wilderness. Here's the thing. Voices are not forged in front of crowds. Voices are forged in the secret place. Voices are forged in the hidden place. You don't start off with a a microphone in your hand and on a platform of 100,000 people. You don't start there. You start off in a, in a hidden away, out of the way place that's challenging and difficult. Because it's in hardship that you become strong. We have a problem in, in our generation, and it's this, that we've, we've uh, made hard equal bad. But listen, hard isn't bad. Hard is good for you. Hard is necessary. Difficult is important. Come on, I'm preaching better than y'all are saying amen. Difficult is important. If you never go through anything difficult at the first sign of challenge, you will, you will wilt like a, like a baby plant in the sun. I mean, you will just give up at the first sign of adversity. What we need right now are believers who have a root in them because they've made it through the heat of the day. They've taken time in the wilderness to be crafted by God. They didn't run to the platform and run to the the first place that somebody would just, oh, look at my gift and and come on, tell me how awesome I am. No, no. They plowed it out in the place of prayer, in the place of study. They gave themselves to the wilderness path. And in the wilderness, all of a sudden, they got strong. I remember talking to a friend of mine and he said, he says, he said this, this is so interesting to me. He goes, I'll give just about anybody a chance in ministry. I go, okay. He goes, yeah, because if, if it's real, you can't stop it. But if it's just somebody with a good idea, it won't gain any traction. And he goes, and the, necess- the necessity of that little plant poking through the soil, standing under wind and rain, standing the heat, it's necessary that that happens so that the stem can get girth. And he goes, and the same is true with you. You have to go through some stuff so that you can stand in a day of great adversity. And John had been forged in the wilderness. He was a voice of one crying all by himself. He didn't need social media, didn't need to go viral. He didn't need any of that stuff. He was actually way out of town, and the people went all the way out to him. People say, somebody needs to give me a platform. I've got a gift. Somebody's got to give me a platform. No, no, no. The Bible says a man's gift will make room for himself. Well, nobody ever, nobody ever affirmed me and called me higher, and nobody ever put me in a place of ministry. A man's gift will make room for himself. What you needed was to wrestle through being hidden where nobody saw you. You needed that so that when you did finally get on a platform, you weren't thinking you were the reason that you were on the platform. Dang, I'm preaching right now. 
Did you call me Larry? (laughs) I'll take it. So here's the thing about John. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He knew what his calling was. He knew where he came from. He'd been fashioned in the wilderness. We have done you a disservice, guys. Listen, the previous generation has done you a disservice by thinking that you have to be pampered. That pampering has made you weak. Being pampered, it doesn't help you. It spoils you. So the first sign of challenge, you just blame everybody else. It's not okay. I love you. I promise you I will not pamper you because I want you to win. I want you to succeed. I want you to grow. I want you to be able to stand. I want you to be a voice. Am I making sense? So John is quoting the prophet Isaiah, and this is like, because he's literally quoting what Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years earlier, and he's actually saying, which is just shocking, I'm the fulfillment to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 40. Can you imagine that being your life? He wasn't in arrogance at all. He knew who he was. The angel had already appeared and told his parents who he was. He was standing in the fullness of his calling, having been fashioned in the wilderness. He had rejected the path that the priests go, though he came from a priestly lineage. And he actually studied and was groomed, likely, by a group of, of, of like monastic Jewish, you know, whatever they were, prophetic-style people called the Essenes, he likely came up from them instead of going the way of popular opinion that would have got him you know, exalted in the ranks of being a Pharisee. He rejected all that and went the hard route. But he's the, he is the actual fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. So put your eyes on Isaiah 40. I want you to, I want you to look at this. something up here. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We call this the passage that describes the forerunner. John being the one who was called to go in advance of Jesus to prepare the way for the Lord. That's the forerunner. Eastern kings, when they would go to a new country, they would send an an emissary or an ambassadorship, several people to go before in their stead to make sure all the arrangements were set up so everything was straight by the time they got there. John was that for Jesus in his first coming. But I want to tell you something. That spirit that was on John the Baptist, this prophecy that Isaiah gives, it's not just about Jesus in his first coming, it's also about Jesus in his second coming. And what that means is this, there is a forerunner coming that's going to prepare the way for Jesus when he returns. But here's what I believe. It's not just an individual, one forerunner, one voice crying. It's an entire company. It's an entire generation of voices who are crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. It's a forerunner people who are in the same spirit. They're under that same anointing as what John the Baptist had, and they're they're calling the nations to account with boldness and clarity and humility, and power, and the outcome of their messenger ministry is it shakes nations, literally. Now look at what it says. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then it's going to give us four different components of what this ministry, this forerunner voice ministry, what it does. 
First is it exalts every valley. What does that mean? It takes the meek and the broken and the weak and the oppressed and the cast out and it lifts them. It lifts the broken and the needy. Second, every valley shall be made low. Every, I'm sorry, I I wrote it wrong. I read it wrong. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The The second thing it does is it humbles everyone that's in positions of power in the power bases. When I say power bases, I'm talking about the different spheres of society. I'm talking about, you know, education, politics, banking, church, entertainment, all the different spheres of society. All those players at the top right now, they're just playing political games and money games. They're just, they're just controlling people in all sorts of ways to make more money, more clicks. He's going to humble the haughty looks of all the men, and he's going to use a voice ministry. He's going to use a forerunner voice ministry. He's going to raise the broken. He's going he's to humble the proud. Third, he's going to straighten out the crooked paths. That's the perverse and the unjust things in the earth. He's going to use voices to straighten it out. And then last, the rough places made smooth. If something's rough, like if you have a rough patch in the road, it stops you from being able to go down the road. But if you smooth it out, right, then it makes it easier to go around the road. Uh, The rough places are everything that's in the way, all the hindrances. The voice ministry, the forerunner people, they they have an anointing on them to smooth out the rough places, take everything out of the way. What's interesting is in Isaiah 62, it it talks about the same thing. Remove the stones from the road to make it smooth. It's the same thing. Catch this. The Isaiah 62 that we talked about last week, it is the other side of the coin of Isaiah 40. The intercessory side is Isaiah 62. The proclamation side is Isaiah 40. you got to catch that. Somebody wants to be a preacher, you can't become a preacher if you're not an intercessor. Scripture says, if they are prophets, let them make intercession. It's critical that you catch this. You will not enter into your ministry, whatever it is, especially in a messenger environment, unless you enter into it firstly in intercession. You have to apprehend it in prayer before you can manifest it in power. It has to be like that. And God tied that together because this, he's not raising up messengers who are uh, uh, separated from his own heart. Okay, so you you got to get in this place in intercession. You've got to groan. You've got to ache with the Lord. You've got to get God's heart in your heart to where now it's beating out of your own chest and you're not okay. So that when you finally do have something to say and somebody to listen, you're not just spitting an echo. You're a voice. And your your voice isn't just coming out and falling on the ground every time you say something. Your words are actually hitting with power. One of my biggest challenges is being called to be in the ministry, being called to be a preacher, being called to be a voice is so many times the message in my heart, it was on level 10, but when I opened my mouth, it came out at a level three. And I'd fast and I'd pray and I'd sweat and I'd cry. Sometimes I'd go into intercession so much so till my forehead broke out with broken blood vessels. That thing that we hit last week, it was a touch I've been in wild, travailing intercession to where when I got up, it looked like I had two black eyes. That's not about, oh, look at me. That's about what can apprehend somebody. And I realized this, that when I didn't see the power come on my words, I was travailing to enter into it in a day ahead. I was buying in an altar something God would give me in 20 years. We're so used to microwaves. We think we're going to travail last week and we're going to preach the gospel and nations are going to all fall this week. 
No, get a life of prayer so something gets forged on the inside of you so that when you finally are in a moment to share a thing, it hits with a hammer. There's no circumventing God's processes. And so many young people, I've seen this so many times, they go, God told me I'm a prophet. God told me I'm a preacher. God told me I'm a teacher. And what do they do? They immediately run out and start trying to teach and prophesy and preach to everybody. And it's got no unction on it because they have no depth. Because they haven't been to the wilderness. So when a forerunner voice speaks, those four things happen. The, hum, the humble are brought up, the proud are brought low, the crooked are, are made straight, and the rough are made smooth. Here's the thing, verse 6, I think, right? I don't have, I didn't put it in my notes. Uh, no, it's verse 5. It is in my notes. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The end of the forerunner ministry is the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So when you have a voice and it's declaring the word of the Lord, the end of that is glory hits. And ultimately, the ultimate thing that John the Baptist was talking about was he was a voice and Jesus himself, the one who is glory, he walked into humanity. And there's an entire generation, listen, listen. There's a generation that God is raising up He's crafting them into voices because he wants to reveal his glory and not just power encounters, not just revival, but Jesus Christ walking back into the planet once again. This is the other side of Isaiah 62. Now here's the thing. There is a specific message that forerunners carry, and it's in verse 9. So look at it in your Bible. If you've got digital, look at digital. Look at NIV, unless you're carrying an NIV. Verse 9, NIV, because the NKJV, I'll just tell you, translates this uh, wrong. He's bold. It's, 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 Commentators will tell you that the way, it's, it, the way it's read in the NKJV is wrong. NIV has got it right. I can explain that to you afterwards if you want to talk to me about it. Verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, and the NIV says, here is, the NKJV has got this part right, behold your God. So what's he telling the messengers to do? Go up on a high mountain, shout, lift up your voice, do not be afraid. What's he describing here? He's saying, when God fashions you into a voice, and when God calls you to declare the word, do it so everyone can hear, do it with boldness, assert yourself, and don't shrink back. Don't be afraid. Why would he have to tell them not to be afraid? Because they're going to have to stand in the face of stuff that's really scary. And he goes, and here's the message. The message is, behold your God. Behold your God. Look at God. Let me show you God. Here's God. And what he does in the next several verses, about next seven, eight, nine verses, gives 20 dimensions of the knowledge of God. He unpacks multiple facets of the knowledge of God. He goes, he's a shepherd. And he holds lambs to his breast. He says, in front of nations, they're like dust. They're like dust on the scale. He goes through and he unpacks all these different dimensions of the knowledge of God, which brings me to this. You've got a messenger ministry, singer, musician, writer, dancer, 
preacher, teacher, artist, whatever, you got a messenger ministry, let me tell you what your message is. Behold God. It's behold God. And let me tell you who your message is ultimately to. Yes, all the Gentiles that are around you, but ultimately your message is going to be to Israel. That's where it's ultimately going. All the messages for all the nations coming to the knowledge of Jesus, all that, it has at its very tip, the finality of it is, Israel, behold your God. Listen, guys, this is something to get a vision for, to become a voice in your generation. Wouldn't you like it that in the midst of a culture that's constantly raging, all these different ideas, all this mess, all this confusion, all the things that are you know, just so raging war against the knowledge of God, wouldn't you like it to have a depth of who God is so in any situation you can declare who he is to it? You can express who he is. You can speak truth to power. Even if the power is five people in a classroom making fun of Christians, or ten people at your job, behold your God. The only way, hear me, the only way you could ever declare behold your God is if you go deep in the knowledge of God yourself. You make being fascinated with him your habit, your obsession, your hobby, your profession. If you will go deep into the knowledge of him, the knowledge of him will go deep into you. And then when you open your mouth, it doesn't come with a whisper. It comes with a thunder. Guys, this is a call for messengers, for a voice. This is a call for what it's going to have to look like in your generation right now. I have never, ever seen so many voices, so much wrangling, so much vitriol, so much negativity, so much false information. It's wild what's out there right now. Somebody has got to stand up with truth and speak truth to power. There's been a handful of times I've watched people who are voices stand in the midst of entirely like just corrupt and chaotic moments of so many other voices rise up against them and they speak truth in the middle of it and it shuts it all down. I've only seen it a handful of times, but it is so potent. That's what God is calling you to be. If you don't know what to read in the Bible, study God. The fact that we as Christians would be like, uh, you know, I read my Bible sometime last week, you know, I just don't, you know, I'm not sure. Dude, that is not it. That ain't going to get it. The spirit of deception is resting heavily on the minds of everybody in your generation right now. Your feed on your social media and what your friends said and what they said, th those voices are loud and the pressure is high. You not having a root in the scripture is like you just going out, taking off all your clothes, walking through the middle of a minefield and going, I'm good. I mean, you're not good. You're going to get wrecked. Get a depth in the knowledge of God. Study who God is. Study his emotions. Go right back to when he talked to Moses and he declared his name to Moses. Start there and anchor to it. So that when somebody asks you, what's your deal, dude? You go to church, like, what are you, you hate gay people or what's your problem? You go, behold God. Behold God. And then what you do is you, you hit them with the God who is mercy. The God who is truth. The God who is love, but the God who is justice. The God who is perfect. The God who knows every thought in their mind and every word before they speak it. And then the next thing you know, you're his mouthpiece. Behold, God is the message of the forerunner. And ultimately, we'll all come together 
with a, a believing, bold, loving, meek people who will declare to Israel in the time of their greatest crisis, behold your God. And they will, they will be provoked. The Bible tells us they'll be provoked to jealousy. You know the God of Abraham better than I do. And all Israel shall be saved. Beloved, that's where this is going. But let me just say this. If we can't stand for truth in front of a three or four of people 20 years old our age, how will we ever stand in a time of greater crisis? Guys, hard is not bad. Hard is helpful. Pressure is a privilege. Are y'all feeling me? The power of the message is that it is deeply within the heart of the messenger so that it comes out not as drivel or confusion, but as a thunderclap that shifts power bases. I want weight on my words. So this week, now last week, you know, in the fast, you know, you can get foggy and just like not have a lot of energy. And I'm just trying to present myself before God sometimes. And I'm just, it's a little challenging. That's the beauty of fasting. You're so weak. And then God just, he's able just to like hop right into your, into your junk because you don't have any defenses up. You're not, you can't do all the things. So last week, I just started getting it on my mind. I've got to watch the movie Luther. Got to watch Luther. So I just, I watched Luther. It's about the Protestant Reformation. It's about this guy who is this, Martin Luther, y'all know the name. But he was this young dude who was, he wants to be a priest. What's wild to me is he became, back, this is how it was in the 1500s. He became a priest before he even could, he didn't have a Bible to read. He'd never read the New Testament. Martin Luther ends up being the one that sparks the entire Protestant Reformation. He stands in the face of the Pope and tells him, I will not bow to your decrees to renounce everything I said. They, they, they brought him to the Vatican. They said, you're preaching heresy. And the reason why they said he's preaching heresy is because he was calling out all their heresies. He gets called in by the Pope. And they said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk in the room. You're going to put your face on the ground. You're going to say one word, I recant. Recant. You're going to say one word, recant. means I take it all back. So he walks in, puts his face down, and the guy goes, stand to your feet. And he gets on his knees. And instead of saying, I recant, he goes, have I erred? And he engages, this was a cardinal on behalf of the Pope, he engages him with truth and clarity and unction and authority till the cardinal has to go and find in the books of the Catholic catechism everything he's talking about because he's gone so deep in the word. They couldn't, they couldn't convict him. They couldn't do anything to him. Finally, they just kick him out of the Catholic church. But by that time, all Germany is following him. So I watched the movie. I'm just stirred up. I love that movie. Then it's just on the front of my mind. I want to watch Wil Wilberforce. It's called Amazing Grace is the movie if you want to watch it. And William Wilberforce is the one. He's basically single-handedly responsible for stopping the slave trade in Great Britain. And he stands up in Parliament and there's times, and he's, he's got, this, he's got uh, this sickness in his, in his gut, in his bowels, in pain. He's racked with pain. But he's so clear that God has called him, and he knew God had called him to be a proclaimer. He just didn't know it was going to be in a political circle. But God calls him to be the voice that stops slavery in England. And he starts off, and he's, he's preaching these, these messages in Parliament about the, the Imago Dei. He's talking about how everyone is made in the image and likeness of God, and this is unjust, and this is perverse, and this is demonic. He's saying all these things, and he's got this, he's got this sway where within a few years, he's moving 
the, the, the whole parliament in England, and a few things happen, and he gets the rug pulled out from under him, and he can't get the vote passed to stop the slave trade. And for 15 years straight, he puts the same bill out, and he gives the same message, and they're, they just end up where they're just shouting at him and telling him to shut up by, the, by like the 15th year. They're just tired of hearing him. And he would go to bed at night, and he would dream of enslaved Africans and shackles. And he would say, I failed. And his pastor was the man that wrote Amazing Grace, who had been a slave trader. And he would go get counsel from his pastor, and his pastor would call him to stay the course, to open your voice, to maintain the, 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 the course, stay with it. And he gets to the, the end in 15 years and 15 no's. And even like, I mean, literally, he's trying to present the bill, and they are drowning him out, and they are scorning him and cussing him. And he gets sick, and he's looking like he's going to die. And uh, he ends up, meets this woman, this young woman, and she says, it's not dead yet. It's not over yet. It's not over for you yet. She calls him back to his identity. He goes back in, gets all the people together that he had rallied to, to begin with, goes back into parliament, and he begins to, to chip away and chip away, and he gets one law passed that, like, shuts down the slave trade, like, 75%. And when that happens, so many ripple effects happen, and he goes up in the next year in parliament, and he preaches the same bill, the same message, the Imago Dei. Every man is created in the image and likeness of God. Every man is valuable. This is barbaric and demonic, and it's not, it's not right for us to do this injustice. And when he does it that last time, he does it to standing ovations, and they pass the bill to outlaw the slave trade in Great Britain because Wilberforce wouldn't back down. But the one that got me is Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Do y'all know the name? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German born in 1906. He's 27 years old when Adolf Hitler is elected Fuhrer, Chancellor of Germany. Most people don't realize this, but within six months of Hitler getting elected, he was putting into place so many laws in Germany. He was, he was so, I mean, there was so much racism against the Jewish people. They, they couldn't hold offices. They couldn't hold certain positions, certain jobs. He outlawed any Jew could not be in any part of um, media in any way. He controls, he controls the entire messaging instantaneously. And then he starts messing with the church. And I have to truncate it because I've just been immersing myself in Bonhoeffer this week. But he starts messing with the church. And what he does is he creates what's called a Reich church. It was the third Reich, the third rule, the third reign of Germany's grandeur. It's a Reich church. The Reich church, what it did was it, it replaced the cross with the swastika. And it replaced the Bible with Mein Kampf, Hitler's autobiography. And they came in, and they rewrote the Sermon on the Mount. Because you couldn't be meek if you were going to be a German. You had to be strong. And they rewrote who Jesus was. And they changed every, all the narrative about Jesus, about the gospel, about the scriptures. And if you were a Christian in Germany, you had to be a part of the Reich Church. And if you were a pastor, you had to swear allegiance to Adolf Hitler alone. Bonhoeffer's 27. He got his doctorate at 22. At 27 years old, he's traveled in different nations. And what he would do is he would go like to England, and he'd be in these small churches writing these messages, and they would end up getting published in the English newspaper, and it would get blasted all over Europe. He's literally shifting the culture and the power bases through the written word. He's doing it from England because he's got liberty in England. He would have been arrested had he been in Germany by this point. But at 27 years old, he's called into a meeting with Adolf Hitler himself. Hear me. 
He's 27, and by 27, he's such a voice. He's hammering the power bases of Nazi Germany to such an extent that Hitler himself wants a meeting. Antichrist wants a meeting with Bonhoeffer. And he stands in there, and by this point, they don't really quite understand, is it Hitler's henchman or is it Hitler? Who's the problem? And he's, so they're going in, they're thinking, maybe we can get Hitler on our side. And Hitler rails and yells at them for an hour and tells them, you will renounce everything you believe and you will join the Reich Church. And they look at Hitler in the face and they say, we cannot. And Martin Niemöller, who was, who was Bonhoeffer's running buddy, he gets, he gets outlawed from preaching in any churches in Germany. And so what does Bonhoeffer do? He starts a whole new, whole new church movement called the Professing Church. 6,000 pastors join instantaneously. 27 years old. He stands through the atrocities in Nazi Germany. He stands through the Holocaust. He declares the word. He gets arrested and put in a concentration camp. But at 27 years old, Bonhoeffer said this. He says, I know what I'm called to do. I know who I'm called to be. And in my calling, I know it's not going to last very long. He knew he was a voice. See, the end of the message of the forerunner is the glory of the Lord shall appear. But the end of the life of the forerunner is off with his head. If you think being in ministry, being a messenger, getting out there, getting known, getting your voice heard is some way about you being famous or getting accolades, you have completely missed the point. He must increase. John the Baptist said, I must decrease. That's the end of the life of the forerunner. Bonhoeffer's in a concentration camp. He's now 39 years old. It's two weeks before Hitler is going to kill himself and end World War II. Six million Jews have been executed. Six million Jews have been executed. Hitler gives a round of final orders. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to press Russia, and I want you to execute Bonhoeffer. Kill him. He knows he's going to kill himself in two weeks. But one of his final orders is kill Bonhoeffer. What has your voice done if Antichrist, he's, he's an antichrist. If antichrist, in his, like, dying breath, says, kill that guy. I ordered a 18 by 12 picture of Bonhoeffer. I'm going to put it at my wall, right at my desk. Because when I want to think about quitting, and shrinking back, and being a baby, and getting into self-pity and complaint, I'm going to look at Bonhoeffer. I'm going to let him call me into boldness. Not shrinking back. Call me into being a voice. Guys, Bold and meek. None of these men I just mentioned lifted up arms. None of them wrangled about. They were, in fact, Wilberforce is so wild. He's a pacifist. He didn't even like to kill animals. In the movie, he's got like animals running around his house. So we all like that. He's that. He's that guy. They were meek but they didn't shrink back. And I just believe this, that God wants to do that 
and so many of you. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it as a lone ranger. You can't get it on the run. I'm not talking about going through McDonald's drive through and getting an, an anointing on your life. I'm talking about answering a call that God says, I want to make you a voice crying in the wilderness. And you say, yes, and Lord, put me in the oven and bake me until I got something to say. There's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff on the internet right now. 99% of it is not worth listening to because they don't have an unction on them. They're going viral with no anointing. Where's the change in society? Where's the shifting of the power bases? Where's the tearing down of the mountains? Where's the lifting up of the valleys? If it's a voice that has an anointing, you'll see those things happening. Where's the crooked path made straight? Where's the rough place made smooth? I don't care how many likes you got, how many views you got, how many followers you got. It's nothing. It's nothing. Where's the thunder when you speak? Where's that? Last thought. Book of Job. We're mostly familiar with Job and his three friends. But there's, an, there's a fourth guy. Elihu. Elihu, when he steps in, he's a young man. When he steps in, and that's why you don't see him talking for 32 chapters. Because he's just sitting and listening. But when he steps up and he begins to speak, he rebukes everybody. He rebukes Job. He rebukes the three friends. He says, and the problem here is none of you have beheld God. And then he begins to say that what happens is God, he thunders like thunderclaps. He strikes like lightning strikes. And he says this. It's amazing. Elihu goes, a voice speaks and God thunders. And here's what literally happens. When Elihu is done speaking, God shows up in a whirlwind and begins to thunder behind the mouth of the messenger. This is what we have to have right now. And not just 50-year-olds, 20-year-olds that are saying, I am going to go deep in the knowledge of God. I am going to get a word in my heart, a word that goes so deep down in me that it wrecks me and ruins me so that when I open my mouth, I actually have something to say. And that when I say it, it actually leaves people disrupted. It actually leaves people scrambling. I pray that as I'm speaking, you're getting disrupted. I pray that you get your vision off of something better than going viral or getting followers. But get a depth in who God is. The earth is groaning. The nations are raging. There's got to be a generation that steps into the fray and says, I am in this for the long haul, no matter what it costs me. And I'm not going to learn by 50 Bible verses and just be like every other Christian, halfway compromised, halfway shallow. I want to get something on my life. So that when I say it, it rocks people. God's calling voices. Isaiah 40, verse 9, voices. Get up on the mountain. Lift your voice. Shout. Don't be afraid. And say, behold your God. Amen. Let's stand. So agitating. Thank you. No hype. You just play a, play, play a pad or something. It's cool.
clothes. Let's just set our eyes on Jesus. Just close your eyes. Satan's always after the messengers. He's always after the deliverers. You've had a rocky path. I don't dismiss the trials and the pain. But if you'll recognize, voices are formed in the wilderness. You can contextualize what you went through. You're still standing and you're here right now. That pain, that challenge, that trial, that abuse, that wasn't for your breaking, it was for your making. I want to pray for you right now. We need voices so bad. Bold, humble, fearless, unwavering, unfaltering, can't be bought, can't be intimidated. Deep in the knowledge of God, standing. Jesus, you'd say, Jesus, I'm not Jesus. If you'd say, Jesus, I don't care what it costs. I want to be a voice. Arts, media, entertainment, business, dance. Music, song. I want to be a voice. I want you to get up from where you're standing and get down here. I want to be a voice. This isn't cheap. This isn't shallow. You're saying yes to the wilderness. You're saying yes to trials and challenges, hard You're saying yes to hardship. And 
I hear the voice of one crying. I hear the voice of one crying. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Just tell him, Lord, make of me whatever you want. Make of me whatever you want. My life is yours. My life is yours. Have me. Make me a voice. Make me a voice. Give me an identity like John. A voice of one crying in the wilderness. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.